in a seemingly unimportant detail in the Gospels. Luke records the following fact. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph lived 60 or 70 miles north of Jerusalem. They were observant Jews, and the Jews had three main festivals in Jerusalem. Every year, the Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, March, May, and October, respectively. And the men in Israel were expected to attend all these festivals if they could, and their families to come with them if possible. But of the three, if you had to choose one, almost everyone chose the Passover. That was the great feast that people loved to be at in Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph, every year, according to Luke, made the decision that they would go to Jerusalem. Now, this wasn't an easy matter. The festival lasted seven days. And the journey, I calculate by the likely route they would have went, would have been about 80 miles plus. They would have been either walking or on a camel or on a donkey. And they'd be going there and back two or three days each way. It's at least two weeks out of their lives to go to the Passover festival. And they went with some or all of their children. Jesus had four younger brothers and at least two younger sisters. There were at least seven in the family, according to the Gospels. And we were, Luke records that at the age of 12, Jesus went with his parents to the, to the Passover. And from at least that age up until his ministry, 25 years plus, every single year, Jesus went to the Passover as a young man, as an adult, to the Passover. And when he got to Jerusalem with his family, he would have encountered huge, huge numbers of people. The city was heaving. And before you got there, the most important thing to work out is where are you going to stay? Because you've got to stay seven or eight days in the city. Every, every commercial Jew put out a bed and breakfast sign during the Passover meal uh, festival. Every room was taken in Jerusalem and in the surrounding villages. Thousands upon thousands of Jews came for the festival from all over Israel and to some extent from other nations as well. And Jesus was among them. Year after year after year after year, he was in Jerusalem. And like all other Jews, he ate for those seven days a special type of bread called the unleavened bread. It was also known as the festival of the unleavened bread. No yeast in it, flat bread. That originated from the original Passover. And they took with them from their homestead or from their farm, most families, a young lamb or possibly a goat's child, as it were, a kid. Either was allowable in the law, but most people took a lamb. And they took it up to the temple during the feast and they sacrificed this uh, lamb, took the meat and then had a celebration meal, the Passover meal in family units or in associated units of friends who went up. That's how they celebrated. And it was a wonderful, wonderful celebration with particular foods, with several cups of wine 
and, and various things that were traditionally added in by the time of Jesus. Year after year, Jesus celebrated the Passover feast with his family. It was a highlight of Judaism. There was a lot of singing in and around Jerusalem. There were five psalms, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, which were used specially, and people used to sing in the streets. They used to sing in the temple. And they used to thank God for what it was all about. And why were they doing all this? What was this festival all about? It was them remembering the days of the Exodus, the days that, in fact, Terry described in his talk in the series we've just completed. An extraordinary, astonishing, transforming day in the nation of Israel that was the foundation for the Passover feast. We'll just put a little picture up um, on the screen now. Um, And this is some Jews uh, celebrating the first Passover. What's the context? The Jews are in Egypt and Moses and Aaron have been commanded to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. He's persistently refused. Judgments have come on Egypt. The intensity is coming. God is going to judge the Egyptian nations in a dramatic way. The Egyptian nation in a dramatic way is going to take his people out. How is people? How can they, hundreds of thousands, how can they possibly get out of Egypt? Unarmed, defenseless, bonded laborers under tremendous pressure. How can they possibly get out? And then God gives a command to Moses that they should take an animal, a lamb or a kid. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, according to Exodus 12, verse 6, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are able to take some of the blood. They must take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses. You can just see that in the slide where they, where they eat the lambs. <clears throat> that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs. You can see them in the picture. That's to remind them of the bitterness of their suffering. And bread made without any yeast, that's to remind them that they made the bread in a hurry. No time for it to rise. Do not eat meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire, over the head, with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. Some of it is left till morning. You must burn it. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt. Do you notice there the cloaks are on? your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Can you see the staffs? Eat in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I'll pass through Egypt and will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Passover means to spare. I will spare you the judgment. Because of 
sacrifice and the symbolic center of sacrifice, which is blood. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. At midnight, according to the text, that very night, the judgment started. They ate the meal at, say, 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Within four, five hours, the judgment started. And the Lord said to Moses, move the people now, even during the night. Get going. You're eating in haste because it's your last meal. Your cloaks are on because you're ready to go. Your staffs are in your hand because you're ready to go. All you need to do is to get your packs, take as many things with you, get the people out of their houses. This was the last time they saw their houses. This was the last time they ate there. This was the last time they ate in Egypt. This was the last time they were surrounded by the Egyptian people. They were going out. The exodus was starting. Right there. But the Passover was instituted. And the Jews never, ever, ever forgot the Passover. And to this day, the Jews will celebrate the Passover, the Orthodox Jews, very reverently at this time of year. Such is the Passover. But it raises an interesting question the significance of sacrifice and of blood, which is offensive to the modern mind. What's happening here? Leviticus 17, verse 11, explains God's principle of operation, and it's coming up on the screen. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It's the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Now, I often ask myself the question, and I bet you've asked the question, couldn't God have forgiven sins another way? Isn't there an easier, less gruesome way to forgive sins? We can ask these questions, but it's very hard to debate with God something that he's laid down. This was like an eternal principle in his covenant relationships, both with, the, with Israel and, as we'll see, with the church. That the sin was a very serious matter that could never be overcome by human effort or by calling on the beneficence and love of God that because he loves us, he'll forgive us, full stop. People sometimes say that today. It's a very superficial statement when you think about it. It's a half-truth. Because he loves us, he's going to find a way of dealing with our sin so he can forgive us. That's more closer to the biblical. And so in the Old Testament, the Jews come to understand that it's through sacrifice. And the symbolic center of sacrifice is the, is the blood. It's the symbol of the life. One life given that another life may be spared. And so this is the foundation 
for the Jewish understanding of sacrifices and the Passover being a preeminent sacrifice. Then during the period of the tabernacle and then the temple in Jerusalem, there were, of course, many sacrifices during the year. Let's go back to Jesus. Now, he set his mind to go to Jerusalem very, very clearly when he went for the last time. And he timed his arrival in Jerusalem very clearly and decisively for the Passover. He'd been there, I calculate, at least 25 times before. And he, cal- he calculated that he would enter into Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Can I tell you, this was not a coincidence. This was a divinely ordained coming together, a reenactment, a fulfillment, and a wonderful relaunching of the Passover principle. And Jesus very consciously gathered with his disciples. We've got a picture here coming up of just an imaginative reconstruction of what we call the Last Supper. Remember we said that the Passover meal was friends together or family together. In this case, it's friends together. And Jesus gathered on that Passover evening. Now I'm going to read to you some of Luke's account and you'll see how deliberate it all is. Luke chapter 22. Now, the festival of unleavened bread... Sorry, I'm going to read from verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Then uh, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. Can you notice in the text, this is a Passover meal. Jesus timed it. And he was going to teach his disciples something very, very particularly. They left and found the things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Notice again, Passover. What is Passover? A sparing, a divine sparing of people from judgment. A divine sparing. God will pass over. He will forgive. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus knew this was the last time. Now, this was the last time of something he'd done for many, many years. This was the last time he would celebrate the Passover. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood, <clears throat> which is poured out for you. The Passover, the original Passover, was the old covenant. The foundation of the Mosaic covenant was laid in the Passover. And so Jesus said, I'm going to reenact the Passover. And I will be the lamb. I will be the sacrifice. And in this blood and in this act of sacrifice, I'm making a new covenant. There's a divine initiative here to bring a new relationship between God and man. And it's not just going to be a Jewish covenant. It's going to be a universal covenant. And it's going to be sealed by the death of Jesus. It's going to create a passing over. It's going to create a sparing of judgment. It's going to create forgiveness of sins that's going to be of a deeper and more comprehensive nature and reach more people and more nations and races than the Old Covenant ever did. But it's rooted in the Passover. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so in this mysterious way, Jesus took on an identity which we sing readily, but maybe don't think about very much, the Lamb of God. We've sung about it this morning. Now what that expression is, an absurd expression on the face of it. If you're a non-Christian and you come in and you listen to Christian songs and you hear people praising someone called a lamb, what does it mean? Now, John the Baptist was a prophet. When he first saw Jesus, in his, uh, as Jesus moved publicly around and came down to the River Jordan, do you remember John the Baptist was baptizing hundreds of people and he was proclaiming the kingdom of God is coming. Get ready, get ready. The kingdom of God is coming. Then he saw Jesus coming. And according to John chapter 1, he made this astonishing statement. Look, there's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Now that's a really strange statement. At the time, it would have caused consternation and confusion. What did it mean to those who listened? They would have been astonished. But Jesus takes the identity of the sacrificial lamb deliberately, formally, covenantally, specifically, chronologically at the Passover. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says very clearly, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It comes into New Testament thinking and theology. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And it's not just a sentimental term. And it's not just, you know, connecting Christ with the 
animal kingdom or anything like that. This is a covenantal term rooted in one thing and one thing only. It's rooted in the Passover feast which is fulfilled directly by Christ dying on the cross. He did it deliberately. He made it abundantly clear what he was doing. It's profound, isn't it? Maybe you know all this. There are many more things we could say about the actual Passover meal. Many details that the Jews subsequently added. And at this time of the year, Jews are getting their Passover meal preparations. They're getting their food and all the appropriate food together. They're getting their unleavened bread. If you ever come across those dry biscuits, those water biscuits, we uh, often eat the sometimes called matzos. That's a Hebrew name for unleavened bread. They're gathering all those things together and they've added a few more ingredients since the time of the Exodus and they're preparing their Passover. But for us, the Passover is fulfilled. And the amazing difference between the Old and the New Covenant is this. We don't have to make the sacrifices anymore. This makes Terry's life a lot easier when he's leading communion because he doesn't have to sacrifice a lamb alongside delivering the other elements of the communion. Because Hebrews makes it clear, Christ's sacrifice was, in the words of Hebrews, once and for all, for all time. Never will that sacrifice ever have to be repeated. It was a comprehensive act of redemption that meets every need of humanity's sin if only we approach the throne of grace. We don't have to repeat anything. All we have to do is to keep it central in our mind and to come to the communion table is the way of keeping it central in our mind and remembering the price the significance of the cross, which is always, always the center of our faith. And if we move away from the centrality of the cross, we move steadily away from the center of our faith. That's why communion is so regular and so significant in all biblically orientated churches, including our own. And so... In conclusion, thinking of this amazing fulfillment, we have two things in the past we can thank thank God for. One is the first Passover, because God needed to get the Jews out of Egypt into the Promised Land. They had to get in the Promised Land before they could become a blessing to the nations of the world, and we're the nations of the world, and here we are. They got out of Egypt, they got into the Promised Land, and the Messiah came from the Promised Land, and the Gospel came to the ends of the earth. That's wonderful, and we've been teaching that during the last few weeks. And the second thing we can remember is that Christ brought to an end the necessity of the repetition of any of the Old Testament sacrifices. They're no longer needed. They've reached their destination at the coming of Christ. He has fulfilled them all. Specifically and centrally, the Passover 
the sacrificed lamb. And in the present, this communion and its Passover significance is important to us because we always need to refocus our lives. Would you agree with that? Do you need to refocus your life often? This is a central need. We drift around, we're pushed around, the, li- the pressures of life are incredible. Some of us are weighed down by massive responsibilities and challenges in our lives that maybe even no one else in this room knows apart from you. But in the communion, in the focus on Christ, we can recenter our lives, we can examine our lives, we can turn away from sins that have crept up on us. We can say, no, I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. We can purify our lives. We can ask God's forgiveness. We can strengthen our faith. We can gain encouragement because his covenant is an eternal covenant and it's never, ever going to be annulled or changed. There's nothing more that needs doing. And Jesus said, one day I will eat an equivalent to the Passover with you in the kingdom of God. He'll come back and there'll be a new relationship with Christ where all these things will be fulfilled. And finally, when you look in the book of Revelation, you begin to see the end times, the bigger picture, the heavenly scenes, and all sorts of other significant things. And I want to just read a small section from Revelation 5. Revelation 4 and 5 is John having a vision of what heaven is like prior to the final judgments that come on the earth. Chapters 4 and 5. So there are visions of heaven. And We often quote these passages, but I want you to listen to this, thinking about the concept of the lamb. Because you might think, well, the lamb, the symbol of the lamb is useful for us. Here we are. We're living on the earth. We need forgiveness. We need that new covenant to work for us. But what I want to just show you now as we conclude is Jesus' title of the Lamb of God resonates into eternity. Revelation 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's just an approximation, by the way. 10,000 times 10,000 angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders who are human representatives of of the redeemed in heaven. And in a loud voice, these thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of angels were crying... Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures cried, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Who did they worship? The Lamb of God. The Passover Lamb. The one who died at the Passover feast by deliberate intention. And said to his followers, I, my blood's a new covenant. My broken body is seen in the bread broken. And that act resonates into eternity. And one day you, if you believe, will be in that throng. And on your lips will be the divine title of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And you too will say, with all the eternal, redeemed and angelic beings, worthy is the Lamb. And you'll be able to say, because you're smart, worthy is the Passover Lamb. Let's have the musicians. Let's stand together.